uh, we're going to read a, a, an unfortunate uh, incident that happened. You know, one of the things I wanted to say to you about a relationship with God is um, he can do a lot of great things. And he shows himself to be wonderful and beautiful beyond our understanding of good things. But one of the greatest obstacles and hurdles that we, we have to overcome is this. Is that I have to realize that salvation is not just an option. It's not. I am utterly broken. And I'm going to tell you the truth. So are you. The Bible tells us that we are utterly, utterly broken. Our natural instinct is to push God away, to run away from God, to distrust God, to seek after our own self, to believe in ourselves. Even if we have so many losses on our win-loss record, this is the truth of who we are. And salvation is a necessity. And um, a lot of things happen once we're able to admit these things. There's a lot of things that happen. Uh, we're going to talk about that. But let's... Um, Let's read from verse 1 of chapter 32. So when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, it, it was about three months at this point. So God takes them out to the desert. God calls them to come to the front of Mount Sinai. He shows them his glory. He sets down in a blaze of glory. He ignites the top of the mountain. They're utterly awed and terrified. And then he goes up into the mountain, comes down immediately after he comes up, and he says, listen, I know God told you not to come near, but now he's inviting you to come close. And they freak out, and they're like, there's no way we're coming near him. There's no way we're coming near him. So this is where they're at. Three months, so long, and coming down from the mountain, they gathered around, they gathered around Aaron, and they said, come, make us gods who will go before us as for this fellow moses who brought us up out of egypt we don't know what has happened to him aaron answered them all right take off your gold earrings from your wives your sons and your daughters that you're wearing bring them to me so all the people took off their earrings and brought them to aaron he took them and handed them over and made them into an idol cast in the shape of a calf fashioning it with a tool and then they said now get this, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced tomorrow there will be a festival for the Lord. Wow. See, funny and strangely, uh, they thought they were doing the right thing. They thought that they were making an image of the God that they couldn't see and they couldn't come near. But uh, they did this out of foolishness, and they did this... Uh, at peril. Peril's a very serious word. That means uh, I'm coming close to the edge of something that could take my life. And that's what they were doing. They were playing on the edge of something that could take their life. And they're going to get a, a dose of reality in a few minutes. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced tomorrow will be a day of festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early, sacrificed burnt offerings, and presented fellowship offerings. After that they sat down to eat, they drank, then they got up to indulge in revelry. That means it went from one form of licentiousness to the next. Because that's what idolatry will always bring. When I feel that I can control God, 
I'm really worshiping myself. I'm my own God. And when I'm my own God, as much as it sounds good and sounds like I could do the right thing, what I will do is what human beings do. And I will go from one level of rebellion to the next. And I will destroy things in my life. I will use my own hands to do them. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you have brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and they have made for themselves an idol in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of, of Egypt. I have seen these people, said the Lord to Moses, and they were a stiff-necked people. Jesus says this a lot to Israel. These are a stiff-necked people. And you know what? For a long time, I was so angry with Israel. I'm like, man, why would you be so stubborn? until I followed the Lord longer. And I realized, I'm pretty stiff-necked too. And I think we all are, right? But Moses sought the favor of the Lord, and he said, Oh, Lord, why should you, in your anger, burn against your people, whom you have brought out of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that you brought them out to kill them? in the mountain, and to wipe them off the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce anger. Relent. Do not bring disaster upon your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore on your oath, to yourself. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all the land that I promised them, and I will be their inheritance forever. And then the Lord relented and did not bring upon his people the disaster that he had threatened. Uh, we're going to stop there, but what I want you to do, and I want you to take this, because this is what we have a tendency to do, I know because I've done it a million times, where the pastor gives you a direction. Don't just listen to the pastor because he's up here. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't do that. Each and every one of us, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, have the Holy Spirit. And even those who are here who do not have the Holy Spirit are hearing the grace of God pleading for them and calling for them. You're not here by accident. Read the 32nd and the 33rd chapter because this is going to give you a vision of God that most people, when they read it, they go, I can't follow that God. That God's a little too intolerant for me. That God is a God who does things that I don't feel I'm comfortable with. We're going to talk about that as well. So I want to just say something about a name. My name is Thomas. You know what the name Thomas means in Greek? Uh, it means twin. That means I have within me two personalities. I don't know if my mother knew it, but no truer words could have ever been spoken over a human life. I literally have two minds. I've had them my whole life. I know what's right. I know what's good. I know what's profitable, and yet I still desire this other thing. I have this, and I say this is good, but then I see that, and I want that. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I hate thinking I'm the only one here, you know, because I know I'm not the only one here. You know what I mean? One of the best things that we could do in, the, in, in, in a place of grace is be willing to expose. Just say, okay, I'm not going to hide no more. I'm not going to fake. I'm not going to pretend that I'm holy. I'm so holy. You know what holiness is? It's me going, you know, God, I really need you near me. I really need for you to do the stuff in my life. So, Let's talk about a name. A name defines, um, well, nowadays we do names uh, kind of like out of style. You know what I mean? 
Hunter, Tyler, you know, Brianna, Lee, you know, two cool names. Some that you'd see on days of our lives. But way back when, way back when, mothers would say, you're going to be the pain of my womb. Oh, could you imagine walking around? Hey, what's your name? I'm the pain of my mother's womb. Oh, that's terrible. You know, oh. Or I love Jacob's name. You know what Jacob's name meant? Usurper or heel grabber. That means he was a sneak and a con man. That means you better count your fingers after he shakes your hand because he's going to try to steal one of them. Can you imagine meeting a Jacob? They're like, yeah, Jacob, how are you doing tonight? You know what I mean? But God shows him to be absolute and in control by his names. His names are things that we are to run into. That's what it is. It's like a strong tower. That's the words that's used. That we're literally to run in and we're to find comfort. He offers to us his name. And what is his name? El Shaddai. We've all heard it. How many of you heard that name, El Shaddai? That means I am absolute and in control. No one and nothing happens apart from my say. Well, how could God allow these things to happen? What kind of a good God lets these things happen? Do you know what Paul would say to me if I asked him that? He'd say, who are you, old man, to bring any charge against God? Do you have full knowledge? Can what is created say to the creator, you made me this way when you should have made me that way? Who's in control? El Shaddai lets me know that he's in control. That causes tension. Right? But for those who have faith, saving faith, it means that I can, I can entrust to him the endless list of things that I can't control. Are there things in your life you can't control? Oh, there's things in my life I can't control. And you know what? It's a big source of sin in my life when I try to control that. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And, I, and I'm not going to go into it because that's a sermon for another day. But he offers us to us, he offers himself to us as El Shaddai. He offers us to himself, uh, he offers himself to us as Yehovah. Yehovah means I am a promise maker and I am a promise keeper. And I am the essential requirement of life. And when I trust in this God, I realize it doesn't matter what I have with this hand. If he's not in this hand, if he's not in control here, living here, nothing else here matters. Nothing else here matters. No car I drive, no house I drive, no matter what position I have, no matter what I consider a treasure, if he is not my Jehovah, I've lost everything. It's pointless. And you don't, you don't have to be religious to think this. You will hold on to what you have here maybe 85 or 90 years. And the more you're reliant on those things, the more they will demonstrate to you that you are not in control of them and they own more of you than you own of them. They will tr prove to you time and time and time again that you longed for me and what you longed for was really poison to your soul. But strangely enough, when Jehovah's my God, when he's the one who's my promise maker, he's the requirement for my life, else that's good now becomes better and I'm, I'm not going to keep going into that because like I said I could I could probably preach on every single one of these names for at least an hour he offers to me himself as Jehovah Jireh we've heard that before right Jehovah Jireh he's the God who provides 
So you know what that means to me in a practical way? That I need to learn to live contentment. Sometimes it's easy for me. Sometimes it's not easy for me. When I see other people having things that I think, well, I've worked for some hungry days. I think to myself, why can't I have these things? You know, just even with my own schedule and my time. You know what I had to say up here while we were worshiping? I would make room for you to do whatever you want to. I kept going, break up the ground rule, God. It doesn't matter. Your life is my life, and my life has never been God's. It's always been yours. You know why? Because my discontented eye is always looking and thinking to myself, you know, you're five years away from retirement. Why don't you just push through and work hard, become a leader, bank $30,000 a year, and then you could live richly. But can I tell you something? What does it matter if he's not number one? Is that really a blessing if God wants me here and I go there? You know what I've learned? And I learned it yesterday as I was sitting uh, at the terrible uh, Halloween parade. And it shows you where we're at as a a society. There's a spiritual warfare. (laughs) Crazy. It's crazy. I've never seen nothing like it in my life. And I wouldn't have believed it. I wouldn't have believed it. Um, But I realized this. If you chase after something, right, because you're like, no, I need this thing. God brings you to this point, if you're his, where you have to choose. It's either all of his goodness and grace and his his commitment and all these good things, or it's this thing. And if I choose these things over this thing, or if I choose the blessing over God, my life then starts to settle and get order and good things. But if I choose the other thing, if I choose that thing that I'm absolutely positive I need over his blessing, over his nearness, over his commitment to me, you know what will happen? Not only will I lose all this stuff, I'll lose this thing as well. I want you to hear that. Whatever you're searching for, if he's not number one, if he's not the Jehovah Jireh who offers himself, this is a goner too. He's a goner too. Let's look at the next name that he has demonstrated himself to me. He offers himself to me as Adonai. That means he is the master. He is a skilled pilot. That means I can trust him with my direction. When you're following the Lord, you're going to find out that he's going to push you and point you in a direction where you're like, I don't think that's a good direction. Yes? All the time. You're going to be like, no, no, no. I think experientially I've seen it better this way. How about if I just follow you on Sunday and then kind of go my way? It's not really sinful what I'm doing. And most times you're right. It's not. It's not. It looks like everyone else. It's not cheating, robbing, stealing, cheating on your wife. It's not doing all these things. It's just following the way of the world. It's the way it works. But when God is my Adonai, that means he's the one who I can trust. Because if I do not trust him with the ship of my life, I can guarantee this. In the end, it will be shipwrecked, sunk, and I will drown. I know this is tough to hear. Here's the fat last one, and this is something. No, the last two. He he offers us to himself. He offers himself to us as Yahovah Nisi, which means he's my healer. He's my restorer. That means he desires wholeness in me. He wants to restore me. He wants to take away from me all the dysfunction. You know why? Because I've learned in my life dysfunction is comfortable. When I came to Christ, I was 31. That means all my dysfunction, the things that I kept doing over and over and over. I knew they were bad, but yet still they tasted kind of good to me. 
never know what I'm talking about here. And God says to me, no, 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 no. Fruit is bad. Fruit is debauchery. Let me give you something better. See, he's my, he's my Yehovah Nisi. And here's the last one that really gives me comfort. He is El Ra'i. You know what El Ra'i means? He's the one who sees everything. Not because he's got an eyeball everywhere and he sees everything. Because he does. This is different. It's way personal. That means he sees me because he's watching me. When I tell you something, I told you this before. When I met Tracy, she was working at a card shop at Sears. I was security. And she was cute, man. I wanted her so bad because I was worldly. I was like, oh, this girl. And what would I do? I would position myself in the main aisle for her to walk in. Say, how's it going? You know? And I would do that. Can I tell you, El Ra'i is the God who positions himself. He positions himself because he knows that he has orchestrated everything to get you to walk down that road to where he's going to meet you. I've got evidence of this. There's several people in the Bible that this is true. Remember the woman at Sychar? He orchestrates everything. He says, I have to go there to meet this woman. Remember Hagar and Ishmael. They're kicked out. Everything falls apart. They're going to die in the desert. They're sitting there, and who's waiting for them at the well? El Ra'i. Here's another one, Leah. You know what the worst statement ever said in the Bible was? Because the Bible's not what you think it is. Oh, I don't know. The Bible's so antiquated. It's not full of truth. No, it's full of hard truths. You know what it said about Leah? She was unattractive. And they didn't use the word unattractive. They used real tactful words saying her eyes were weak. But that's a very, you know what it says. And you know what that means? Because she had a beautiful sister. Dad loved the sister. Everybody wanted the sister. But nobody wanted Leah. And you know what God did? He said, you're going to want You're mine. Nobody wants you. I want you. And I'll create for you a place for you to be. He was the one who orchestrated that marriage with Jacob. Jacob would have never picked Leah. Nobody would have picked Leah. But God picked Leah. And you know what God said? I'm going to wait until you finally get tired of trying to find love there or there or there or there or there until you finally know that my love is the one that's going to fix it. And that's what he did. And finally, after her fourth child, she's like, you know what? I give up looking for this guy to love me. I could fit nickels in his little finger. But you know what? I don't care anymore because I know you care. Remember these things. You know what faith is? Faith is me looking for evidence that things that are revealed to me by God about him are correct and true and then living accordingly. These attributes, they're beautiful, they're comforting. It's the experiential knowledge. If you're writing something down, remember this. It's experience. God has called you to experience him. This isn't just reading a book. It's not just studying a subject. It's knowing God. Knowing is the same word that they use for a husband and wife who lay in the same bed together, who eat together, who grow together. It's more than just physical intimacy. It's everything intimacy. Until when they get older, they weirdly start looking like each other. True? True? 
That's the intimacy that God wants in our life. It's the experiential knowledge of God that is intended to provoke what, listen to this, a chasing after effect in my life. You know what God wants because he's been chasing after me and he's still chasing after me? He wants me to chase after him. Why? Because I know this is true. Even if I lose my direction or I lead after to the world, if I am truly his, the memory of his goodness and his faithfulness will draw me back to his door every single time. How do I know this to be true? Because you can't just spout out statements. You got to have evidence. Prodigal son, every day, sitting with the old man at the dinner table, every day, getting up at 5.30 in the morning, eating breakfast together, he was looking at the world and he's like, this place has robbed me of all the best things. And finally he says, just give me my share. And I'm just going, no problem. You know why the father did that? Because he knew who he was and he knew what he had to offer. And you know what? He even knew who his kid was, even though his kid was pushing him away all the time. And finally, what happens? The kid goes into the world and does the world what the world does. The world invites him in, does the old bait and switch. He's living the party life, partying up with all these beautiful girls, loses his money. They're like, later, loser. And what happens? Now he's working in a pig sty, feeding pigs, and he can't even eat the pot. Nobody will feed him. He's starving to death. And what happens? One day he comes to himself and he says, it is with you here eating this garbage. And then he goes back to the father. Even his servants, he's better off. I know what I'll do. I'll go back. I'll go back and I'll tell him, oh, just let me be a servant. I know I've lost everything else. And what happens? You know the rest of the story. You know the rest of the story. We're going to preach that one day because, man, I'm talking to you. That's something that's powerful. It's a powerful reminder to me about the goodness of God. But today we are going to look at something that is going to make you truly uncomfortable. We're going to look at God's passion. We're going to look at the fact that he calls himself jealous. We don't like that word jealous because we know it has implications in our life. Jealousy in my life will cause me to do one of two things. Either walk away from everything like this or kill. And that's not a metaphor. It could provoke murder in me really easily. God is one who loves us fiercely, but I want you to know that he demands exclusivity. I am who I am. And it's me and you, or it's not. One thing that we find out in this book is he will not indefinitely put up with insincerity. One of the things that he tells me all the time is this, and this is going to make people feel uncomfortable. Don't honor me with your lips if you're keeping your heart far from me. And you know what? I have a tendency to keep my heart far from him because every time I bring my heart close to him, it costs me more. I'm tired of paying up. I'm tired of it. Pastor, you shouldn't say that. Well, no, you don't want to pass through who doesn't say it because you know why? They leave after five years. Saying it. Just saying it. All people have one thing in common. We all have a tendency to forget, a tendency to want. Every single one of us does it. That's why God calls his people sheep. When he's calling you and me sheep, that's not, it is both a tender expression and it's a little bit of an insulting one. Because sheep aren't exactly the brightest. No, 
That's not true. They're just strong-willed. We are people who are prone to foolishly and naively walk into disaster. We are in many ways like Gomer. That's Hosea's wife. Remember her? She was addicted to harlotry. We are addicted to selling ourselves out for things that will control us rather than for one who created us. It's just our natural inclination. Paul says it. Why do I do the things that I do not want to do? Yet the things that I know I should do, I find myself not doing. Even when I do good things, I find these bad things kind of coming in there and waging war. He's like, I'm a goner. How am I going to ever be saved? And he goes, wait a minute. Praise be to God for that because he sent me here as somebody, not perfect. And that brought him back. And you know what he says as a response to that? Now, therefore, there's no condemnation for you because I'm living in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to this huge litany of saying, there's nothing else that matters other than his commitment toward me. And everything that God wants to do in my life is coming and it's produced and it's brought forth from his commitment to me, not my commitment to him. He brings my commitment out by his commitment. He teaches me love by his love for me. Does that make sense? We have to remember these things. So let's go back to our story. Moses goes to meet with God. Most likely it is about three months at this point. He goes to meet with God at the top of Mount Sinai, but everybody becomes restless. This is our first lesson. Human beings get restless. Follow the Lord for a little while, eat manna for three weeks in a row, and you'll start wanting the spaghetti on someone else's plate. Spaghetti looks good. I'm tired of manna. I've been eating this manna for a long time. I'm tired of its taste. I want something different. I think I will want that instead. And God's like, well, I can give you what you're looking for, but this thing that you think you're going to take and grab hold of isn't going to fill you the way that you think it's going to fill you. Listen to this. There's three purposes in everything that God does in your life and my life. This is why he makes us wait. The first is this. When he wants to do something good in my life is to prosper us in order to build a strong and stable society. If my life is in turmoil and I go to church on Sunday, I need to start repenting of things. I need to start confessing of things. I need to expose attitudes of my heart. I need to get in areas and relationships with other people who are pursuing God with sincerity. And I need to say, hey, listen, this is where I'm at. There's instability here. And I know that God called me out of instability and out of disorder so that he could build society upon my shoulders. See, this isn't just the going to church exercise. This is the building of culture exercise. God wants to build a kingdom. It's a kingdom. Kingdom consists of people and attitudes and actions. So God wants to bless me to build strong and stable societies. The second one is God makes me wait to build faith and to promote an attitude of praise. Like I said before, when I'm in the middle of a struggle, I'm waiting for God to intervene. I could do one of two things. I could look at all my problems and I could say, why are you not there? Everything I read is not true. Or I can look for evidence of all the things that he's done in my life and say, you know what? You're with me here. You're with me here. You got me through here. You did this for me. All that came from your hands. Why would you leave me here in my 
Give me ten. That's what Moses essentially says to God. He's like, God, come on. Kill him? Because of this? Who cares? Because you'll get your glory. I want you to have your glory. Don't, don't tell Pharaoh. Because you know what you do? I don't want anyone to have a bad word against you saying that you brought them out into this place only to kill them at the foot of the mountain. Let's have mercy on them because I know that you can do what you want to do even with a stiff-necked people. And he proved that he can do whatever he wants to do with whomever he wants to do it. So if you're dealing with difficult people in your life, remember, El Ra'i knows. He watches. He sees. If you've screwed things up in the past and you're like, there's no way this is going to get fixed, there's no way it's going to get healed, it's broken, it's lost forever, trust him. Find a reason to praise him. Look to all those places that he was with you in the journey. How he led you. How he guided you. How he held you where you were. When you were gone, you had no power of your own. We all have testimonies. Here's the third thing that happens when God makes us wait. He's trying to produce in me self-control, trust, and patience. Because ultimately, if my faith those three things, then it's merely a profession that gives everybody else another witness. If I believe in God, yet I'm uncontrolled, I'm constantly up, I'm constantly down, I'm constantly over here, all I am is negative, 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 God has left me, God, blah, 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 blah. People are like, wait a minute, I thought you were believing in Christ. I thought you said you believed in him, I thought you said he was good. What, is he good or is he bad? Tell me. See, I have to have self-control because guess what? When he found me, I had no I did what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. I was a slave to me. Don't know where God found you, but that's where he found me. Well, be patient. This means to me I need to be patient. I need to wait on the Lord. I need to let my burdens and my worries build my faith. They are not meant to cause me to distrust him or to run, to run away from him or to manipulate or to control because that's what we'll do. We'll try to control, manipulate, walk around God, navigate around him. No, 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 no. Release. Give him. Give him, this, give him all the problems. Give it to him. Give him all your circumstances. Give him everything that, that you need or you believe is good and say, here it is, God. I'm asking you to do with my life what you will. I'm surrendering my future to you. I'm giving my future. I'm trusting you, Lord God, because you have proven yourself to be trustworthy to me. Don't look for evidence to find that. Because you can't. If you're really his, he's going to test you anyway. And if you're not, you never will. I got bad news, folks. The ones who leave, they were never his. I know I got to tell tough things. I know I got to tell tough things, but I love this congregation because I think you're a hard people. And you know what? You need to hear hard things. Because if it's not, then it's just a commercial. All right. Well, what happens? The people get a dose of reality. And what is that reality? God does what he wants to do. He is not someone who can be hurried. He's not someone who could be bribed. He's not someone who could be employed, nor can he be threatened. Bring your tithes. Bring your offerings. If you think that's going to mean he's going to fill your bank account and send you pieces, think again. That's a business deal, and he's not in the business of making business deals. Come to church. Doesn't matter. Jesus says, again, people will come to me and go, hey, didn't I do this in your name? Did I do that in your name? Didn't I do this, 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 this? And you go, I don't know who you think I am. 
I don't even know you. Who did that for you? Get away from me. I don't, I don't know. Jesus says, we got to be very careful in our walk. Careful in our walk. He lets his people know, I am God, and beside me there is no other. And you know what that is for me? A strong fence. Because if I don't have a strong fence, I will fall out. Fences aren't bad. Fences are good. Because on the other side of the fence are bears that will eat me. Lions that will hunt me. And you know what I'll do? Dumb me, walk right into their mouth. See, my father wants to protect me, to guide me, to lead me. He wants to prosper my life so that I could be part of building this society that learns to praise him for who he is and not just what he does. I mean, people have a natural aversion to God acting like God. Here's a great example of that. I was listening to a wonderful debate in college. And this wonderful atheist professor said, this is the reason I have a problem with your God. Your God has no problem killing people. Go into that land and wipe them out. And then he asked her a question. He goes, that's fair. And he goes, what do you think about abortion? I want you to hear this. I'm not telling everyone who has an abortion option to come in every week. Their back must be scratched So she says this, yeah, I believe in pro-choice. It's a woman's choice. And he goes, isn't that funny? You have a problem with God acting like God and giving life and taking it away. But when you decide that it's your right to take a life or to give it away, it's somehow justifiable. And that shows you the heart of a human being. How quickly we are to say, how dare you? This is my life. What do I have that he didn't give? That's the reason we serve him. Because it's all his. It's always been his. And you know what? It means nothing unless it's put back in his hands. And then once it's put back in his hands, it means everything. God wants to fill our hearts with good things, joyful things, blessed things. He wants them to be like a blessing to our family, not a curse to our soul. So what do they do? They get Aaron to make an image of God. They get their gold, their bronze, and they fashion it into a bull calf. Why? Because they wanted a God that would symbolize strength, fertility, capability, and prosperity. You know what they were saying? When they said, this is the God who brought you out, they said, this God's going to work for me. And you know what God said? You don't work for me. That's not what this is about. So what does God do? He tells Moses, go back. The people are doing the wrong thing. Because this pagan rival uh, idolatry starts, the people dive into licentious living. And uh, they, they go from one avenue of lust to the next. 
Why does God do what he did? Remember I told you it wasn't a mistake that he kept them up there for three, mo- three months? You know why he did it? It's like there's an infection in the human being, deep in the heart. And you know, sometimes it's so deep that it has to be drawn to the surface. When I was a kid, you know, you used to have all sorts of crazy homemade remedies, right? Right? And one of those things is that, you know, you had a bad infection, they would put a poultice on it. They would put something on it. And you never knew what was on that thing, that rag. You didn't want to know, right? <laughs> but it would draw the infection to the surface so that it could be treated and pulled out. God makes them wait to do one of two things. He gives trials to do one of two things. And this is what it is. Listen. Pull it to the surface so that we can see it, recognize it, surrender and say, okay, God, you need to now heal it. And I give in, or it'll make me say, no more, I'm not following you. I got bad news for you, folks. I baptized lots of people in 29 years. They're not all here. I remember I had people, I was going to lead this one, I can't even tell you their name, but it breaks my heart. They were got, I just thought for sure this guy was going to lead. We had a whole group, 30 people. You're going to lead the whole group. And one thing led to another. They pursued education and vacation homes and and they just disappeared. And then when someone said, hey, where did you go? You know what the lady got back to me and said? It was the church. They weren't there for us. What? We were, what? I got to tell you, folks, this is the truth. This is the L truth about El Kenna. El cannot, jealous God. And you can't get around it. He is who he is. You know what? I say these things so that the door can be opened. People will not want to stay. They won't. But if you do stay and you have a false God, what you will do is you'll stay for the wrong reason. It's like a marriage to someone that you think is one way and is in another. And eventually what's going to happen is you're going to see that other person and you're going to go, I want a divorce. I don't want that to happen for you. God's jealousy is not like our jealousy. Our jealousy is without full knowledge, yet it's prompted by a flawed ego. Our responses are usually too excessive and vengeful. They want to seek to gain punitive repayment. It's evil for evil when we think jealousy. But God's actions, they're never distorted. Everything he does flows from his holiness. Even his love will not overrule his justice. Grace flows from his righteousness. Mercy is always a partner with a zeal for his glory. When God wants to do something in your life, it's for the absolute perfect reason. That's why we have to surrender to this God. I know that's tough to hear. And I don't say it as someone who's got it all. Because you know what I'll say? I'll confess like Paul. Have I been made perfect? (laughs) No. I could see the the, the hole and I'm miles from it. And I feel like I should be easily another five miles forward. But I'm not. I'm stubborn. I'm flawed. I was really broken. And I don't want to make excuses. But I know who I am. And I know where I should be. And I know where he's taking me. But I know one thing I won't do. I won't choose this stuff him. I'll stay until he does everything. Because if I leave, I have nothing. 
Let's stand up. Jesus tells the woman at Sychar this thing. He says, let me give you the, 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 the understanding of it. She sees God on the mountain, doesn't know it's God, thinks it's another guy who's trying to get with her. That's what he thinks. That's what I think she thinks. And he goes, hey, give me a drink of water. Remember that? And she goes, water? You don't even have a bucket. What do you mean water? He goes, and you know who was asking me for water, you'd be asking me for water. She's like, oh, okay. Another guy who's got what I need, right? That's what she was doing. And why? Because she was with six other men, and now she was living with another man. And now she had given up. There is no more love. That's a big lie. Big lie. Lie, lie, lie. You're a liar. Why should you even talk to me? I know why you're talking to me. Because you want to sleep with me. That's my opinion. I don't know. But that's what And you know what Jesus says? No, no, no. No, no, no. I don't want that. I want you to have my love. Because if you don't get my love that you were intended for, there'll be no other love that would satisfy your soul. No matter how many times you get it, you'll never, ever fill your cup. But if you have my love, my love, even the lesser loves that only human beings can give you, because that's all you can do, give me a Half cups of love. There's going to be no more. And you know what he says to her? Because then once she gets cornered, she then starts to talk about religion. Oh my gosh, I, I can see her from God, and I really don't want to talk about this because you're touching things that you shouldn't be touching, and I feel really uncomfortable. So tell me, is this the right place to worship, or is that the right place to worship? And Jesus goes, Stop. Stop it. Because the day is coming when man will worship not in the temple or on the mountain. For the worshipers that the Father seeks are those who worship him in truth and in spirit. You know what that means when he's jealous for you and you surrender? Because you've got to surrender a lot. He says, I'm going to fix you. I'm going to bring the truth to the light for you. I'm going to pour my spirit in you. I'm going to move you to act and to will and to work in my will. And you're going to see just how good this really truly is. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, always my soul. Let the One reason, I don't believe them. I don't believe in it. There's churches that do it all the time. I'm not here to, I, I, I don't, I, listen, I, I got to do what my conscience tells me, right? I don't do them because I see too many people have crocodile tears. Moved by emotion and then walk out because the, the emotion goes away instantaneously. I assure you, you go in your car and it goes away. But I'm going to open up this altar. I'm going to open up this altar. Do you want to read? Recommit yourself to the Lord. Do you want to confess before him? Listen, there's no shame here. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what he thinks, she thinks, they think. What it doesn't matter. You know what matters? Is the God who sees everything and loves you like a perfect husband. 
You don't have to make promises to them. You don't have to, oh, Lord, I promise I will. I do this. Just literally say, here I am. This is my thing. You know me. You watch me. You see me. You position yourself down that aisle for me to come to you. Lord God, be my provision. I dedicate myself to you. I welcome you. I'm opening this altar right now as they pray. Don't wait. Grab someone. If you're scared, that's okay. Be scared. Be scared before a jealous God. But don't be foolish to stay away. Let's, let's sing it one more time. If no one comes up, it's fine. You're never gonna... Don't be afraid to come to this, God. You're not here by mistake. I'm telling you, you didn't come up with a great idea. You were called. I don't care how many times it takes you to respond to the call. Don't stop coming. We want to see you. We're encouraged. Our faith is built because you come. I don't care what happened in your life. I don't care what route it took to get you here. I don't care what's holding you back. I know the one who's calling you, and I know what he has to offer is better. Your way is better. So this is what Peter tells you and I. How then we should live as we see the day of judgment approach. As we see this day draw near, therefore, be alert. Be sober-minded so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one of you should use whatever gifts that you have received to serve each other as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Let's pray. Father God, I am grateful. I'm grateful for your spirit. I'm grateful for your word. I'm grateful for the truth. I'm grateful for Jesus Christ who has married me to you into the family by his blood. He covers me with his perfection. He lives and intercedes for me, Lord God. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that's constantly wrestling with us, pulling us out from walking off cliffs and running into traps. Lord God, help us to live surrendered, moment by moment, minute by minute. Help us to find joy in surrender. Lord, fill our hearts with fullness, fullness that we knew existed but could never find. And we pray this with one voice and one name. In Jesus' name we all said, amen. You guys have a great Cause you are good, good.